pray. God, thanks for the chance to be together. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for Jesus today. As we think about the glory of God and your goodness, we are humbled that you want to be with us. Jesus, you said when you were walking on this earth that your sheep hear your voice and they know you and you know them. And so we're so grateful for that. And I pray that today we would hear your voice, that we would hear your voice through your word. Holy Spirit, would you fill us? Would you speak to us? And it's in the strong name of Jesus that we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. By, by just raise of hands, a little class participation today, and don't be bashful now, because you should, my man, I like it, already raised and didn't know the question. Oh, yeah, it was you in middle school, Nick, I can tell, right? But uh, if you were to be honest with me and just say that there is something right now in your life, in somebody else's life that you know, that God's allowing something to happen that you don't understand, would you raise your hand? God's allowing something to happen that you don't understand. If I could put five hands, ten hands up, if I could put a hand up for all of you, I would, because I, like, that's, that's true, right? We sing that song because it says, I will put my what? My trust, right? Because that's a huge part of what we live with in the realm of faith. Thomas Merton was a Catholic priest, a Trappist monk. We won't hold that against him today, but we're going to listen to what he said anyway. And he once prayed these words to the Lord, and they were recorded. And I want you to think about them. He said this. It'll be on the screen for you. My Lord God, I have no idea where I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end. Nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I'm following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope that I have that desire in all that I'm doing. I resonate with that sentiment a lot. You might resonate with it too. If I can presume it captures a lot of what I feel. It captures a lot of what Romans 7 feels. It feels like what Paul wrote that a lot of times I'm doing the things I don't want to do. I want to do the things I'm supposed to do. I sometimes can't do the things I'm supposed to do. There's things that I want to do on Sunday when we gather and we pray and we open the word and we worship and I walk out of here filled with the spirit. And by Tuesday, come on, somebody, by Tuesday, it's like the devil moved in. (laughs) It's like, what happened Why am I so angry or why am I so upset or why am I so short with my kids or why did I cheat on that test or why, you know, fill in the blank or maybe it's an addiction or a struggle. And here we are and we hope that the desire to please the Lord counts for something, anything, because maybe you're like me and you're like, I love the Lord with all my heart and yet I love my stuff. I love my worldly things with all my heart too and we live in that tension i believe in god i go to church but maybe a lot of times by thursday my life looks a lot like the rest of the world and i think if we were to apply that to our prayer life we would be in the same place a lot of times our prayer life is just like that and as we begin with that quote i want you to think about a thought coming out of that quote and i want to put this 
phrase on the screen because I want I want you to think about it. And it's this phrase. It's just two words that it's spiritual. It's spiritual. What is spiritual? Everything is spiritual. Right. Paul said we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against every principality. Right. And he goes on to explain that we don't have time to get into that. But everything is spiritual. Everything is spiritual. What you can see is spiritual. What you cannot see is spiritual. C.S. Lewis once said, this will be on the screen for you too. C.S. Lewis once said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. Everything is spiritual. Everything. I'm not a devil under every rock kind of guy. But I might be a devil under every other rock kind of guy. Are you catching my drift? We are Christians in part because we see the evidence of God. I believe that the evidence of God is all around us. The scripture says that you can just walk outside and the heavens declare the glory of God. If you've ever been on top of a mountain in Utah, the heavens declare the glory of God. If you've ever been at the foot of the Clearwater Ocean at sunset, the heavens declare the glory of God. If you've walked through a forest in the fall in the north, the heavens declare the glory of God. We see him. If you've studied biology, the heavens declare the glory of God. We could go on and on and on because we see the evidence that he's with us. We see the evidence of what he made. But we also believe in the Christian worldview because it makes sense of everything else that we see. The answers in the world are wildly unsatisfactory for the experience that you and I have on a daily basis. There are the things we can see, but there are also the things that we cannot see. So we've been building the case based on the human experience, based on what the Bible tells us and putting those together. We've been building the case that the most critical aspect of how the unseen realm breaks into what we see is prayer. We did 21 days of prayer together. And today we're going to take communion together. We're going to close that time out. We're going to give you an opportunity to pray again. Because I know that there's things you need to pray for and about and with. But all through the Bible we see prayer at work. I want to give you just a couple. The first one will be on the screen. And then I added some more this morning just as I was thinking. So those won't be on the screen. But in First Chronicles chapter 4, way back in the Old Testament, a book you probably avoid. First Chronicles chapter four, because it's like he begat and she begat and he begat and begat, 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 lots of begats. And then there's this nugget in First Chronicles chapter four, verse nine and ten. It says this Jabez was more honorable than his brothers and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, because I bore him in pain. Where are the moms at? Yeah. Jabez called upon what is called upon the God of Israel mean? Jabez what? Come on. He prayed, Jabez called upon the God of Israel saying, oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border and that your hand might be with me and that you would keep me from harm so it might not bring me pain. 
Now, you might think that's a selfish prayer to ask God to bless you, wouldn't you? I would. But I want you to see what the next few words say. It says, and God, what? Granted what he asked. God granted what he asked. These next three won't be on the screen, but 1 Peter 3, 7 says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. And then here's this statement. So that your prayers may not be hindered. All right, we're going to move on past that. I don't want to, don't want to step on too many toes. My own. John fifteen seven. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That was Jesus speaking. Just like if we, you don't need to do this, but if we were to raise our hand again, like how many of you actually live your life as though that last verse is true? I mean, I just don't most days, right? Like I, I'm working on remembering to pray, let alone if my words remain in you and you remain in me, you can ask whatever you wish and I'll do it. I mean, that's where that's where Jabez was, was right? Like, God, would you bless me? Would you enlarge my borders? Would you protect me from pain? And God granted that request. Jesus is seeming to say the same thing. And I would just say to you today, everything is spiritual. And so we we pray. I love the disciples. When Jesus' 12 close apprentices on earth were face to face with him, the question that burned within them in Luke chapter 11 was this, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. That makes sense, right? Like that they would be with Jesus and say, Lord, would you teach us to pray? But before I read you Luke 11, I I want you to think about here's the first here's the thing that hit me when I read that in Luke 11, because it's right before the Lord's Prayer. And we're going to talk about Lord's Prayer for a minute today. But I got to thinking, why? Why would the disciples say to Jesus here? Teach us to pray. I want you to think about some of the things that they had already seen him do. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus uses superhero-like invincibility powers to just vanish through a crowd. In Luke 4, he also heals various sickness, casts out many demons. And while the demons are leaving people's bodies, can you imagine standing there? They're shouting, you are the Christ, son of the living God. And Jesus stops the demons from being able to speak. And a lot of times we read these Bible stories like, can you imagine if Camden started speaking like a demon and I cast it out and then the demon started talking and I told it to stop and it stopped. Wild scenes Jesus was a part of. Luke chapter 5, a crowd is following Jesus, so he gets into Simon Peter's boat. Simon's been fishing all night. He's a professional fisherman. He's really good at this. He hasn't caught anything. And Jesus tells Simon, just go just go a little farther and put your net on the other side. And yeah, I mean, Peter, <laughs> thanks, Jesus. We'll, we'll give it a try for you, buddy. Right? Like, I'm not going to catch anything. And they catch so much fish that Peter's boat starts to sink. They fill another boat. It starts to sink. These are the things that they're watching Jesus do. And the scripture says that Peter on the spot repents of his sin and says, I'm going to follow Jesus. As his boat is sinking from the weight of fish, which, by the way, would have been very lucrative in that moment. 
Also in Luke 5, a leper is healed, a paralyzed man is made to walk. That's a big deal, right? My mom's out there teaching your kids and she lives in a wheelchair. You want to know how happy I would be if she got up and started walking? Like that would be Jesus, right? Right? Like we understand, like, like that happened, that the disciples are watching these things happen. In Luke 6, it records a man with a withered hand has his hand restored. Luke 7, Jesus heals a servant, a servant on his deathbed and then raises an actually dead son back to life. Luke 8, Jesus casts a demon out of a man's daughter into a herd of, out of a man, sorry, into a herd of pigs who then throw themselves over a cliff and drown. Then Jesus heals Jairus' daughter and then a woman who was sick for 12 years. In Luke chapter 9, there's a story you know well. Jesus feeds between five and 15,000 people with one little boy's lunch, right? These are the kind of things they're seeing. And yet they go to this Jesus in Luke chapter 11 and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Why? What I didn't tell you is the disciples were a part of doing a lot of those miracles. They, they had done miraculous things with their own hand in the name of Jesus. And yet, in Luke 9, they have a spiritual dilemma. Jesus casts out a demon from a boy that they are unable to cast the demon out of. Interesting thing. They've seen all these crazy things take place. They've been a part of them. They've even done some of the miracles. And in Luke 9... They aren't able to cast a demon out. That doesn't seem all that surprising to us because I don't know about you, but I don't do a whole lot of demon casting these days. Maybe you do. But they were stunned. They didn't understand. And so they called Jesus over and Jesus cast the demon out. And then a little bit later, they asked Jesus this in Mark chapter 9, verse 28 and 29. This will be on the screen for you. It says, when they had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? We've done this before. Why could we not cast it out? And look at what Jesus says to them in Mark 9, 29. He says to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but what? But what? Prayer. Cannot be driven out by anything But prayer, this had to be an aha moment, right? Think about it. They're watching all these things happen, just crazy things, and they're a part of it, and they're doing it. And then they can't. Now, I've I've thought about that this week. Like, I've seen God do some incredible things in my life, miraculous things in my life. I've watched him heal some of you miraculously. God's done amazing things, and yet there are some things that I don't understand. We started by raising our hand. Is there something that you see God allowing to happen that you don't understand? Yeah, there is. As I reflect on that story, I I just thought about two diagnostic questions for us as Redeemer City Church, whether you're in the room or watching online, traveling. Let me just ask you two questions and And maybe you're like me and it's like, have I ever even thought about these things? Number one, what are the demonic strongholds in our city? Are we processing where in our city does does demonic influence hold power? There's a lot. We're one of the 
hubs for human trafficking in all the nation, world. And the second question I want to ask you is, what are we doing in prayer to combat and address those strongholds? Like, let alone like moving forward into like actually doing something about it, because we could just keep going. We could talk about homelessness. We could talk about uh, lack of fathers. We could talk about we could talk about tons of issues. Where are the demonic strongholds in our city? Where are the demonic strongholds in our neighborhood? Where are the demonic strongholds in your family? And we go on. But the question is, like with the disciples, that you've probably tried to fix some of those things. And I would just wonder if Jesus would come to us today and say, you know what? Some of these things can only be cast out by prayer. And I feel guilty just saying it. If there are things that can only be done through prayer, it's no wonder by the time we get to Luke 11 that the disciples are pulling Jesus aside and saying, hey, we need you to teach us to pray. We need you to teach us to pray so graciously to, as an answer to their question, we get an outline to pray from Jesus. And I think that's important because you probably know the outline. But what's really important is to know why Jesus gave them this outline, because they were at a moment where they couldn't understand why they couldn't do certain things. Pretty important. And so in Luke chapter 11, verse 2 to 4, we get that outline. We get that Lord's prayer. And let me just read it to you. It says this. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. It seems simple enough, doesn't it? I want you to write five things down, though. Five things that are happening here. Because what Jesus isn't saying is pray those exact words. What he's doing is pray in this way. Employ these things. Number one, adoration. We talk about it all the time here. Vision up. Right. Adoration there. There there's a resetting of expectations when we recognize that he's God and I'm not. Because what we've been talking about all through this series is that we know that, but we don't really live like that. We really live like we're God of our kingdom and we hope he'll sprinkle a little little goodness on it. That's how we really live most of the time, because let's be real, like for most of us in this room. We've got our act together. You know, there's some things that come along the way that mess that up a little bit. But we mobilize, we make plans, we get different jobs, we do things, we move schools, we do whatever it is. But there's the there are the times that come where we don't have an answer. We don't have an answer. And so there's a resetting of expectations when you come before the spirit of a living God and you say, hallowed be your name. Adoration is the setting of expectations in your life. You are God. I am not. It moves right into intercession. What's it say in verse two? It says your kingdom come. Most of the time I'm praying for my kingdom to come. Your kingdom come. What would it look like for you to confess that he is Lord and you are not and that his kingdom would come in your life 
instead of your kingdom come in your life. Would change my prayers. Would change our prayers. But there is room for petition. That's number three. In verse three, give us each day our daily bread. There's room for that. Jesus has room for you to express your desires, your needs. Jabez seems to have done that. God, would you bless me? And God grants that. Adoration, intercession, petition. All of these things are things you could dig into more this week. Fourth, confession. What's it say? Forgive us as we forgive. Man, I just like that could be the word for somebody. Today. Is there is there somebody somebody as you sit here that you haven't forgiven? Right? Why 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 should you receive forgiveness if you won't give it? Forgive us as we forgive. And then finally, and I think this was the most surprising to me, is that all of those spiritual things are connected to things that are very real. Justice in verse 5 through 8, the seen and the unseen merge together. They always do. Look at verse 5. It says, he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence or his persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. What what is Jesus saying that through persistence, through persistent prayer, justice can come? Right. What when when we think about where are the demonic strongholds in our city and what are we doing to address them? If we aren't starting in persistent prayer, we're not really doing anything. So we actually believe the scripture is teaching us that if we won't pray about it, we don't care about it. And so you come to verse nine and ten. And what I want you to think about and maybe write down is this statement that prayer is reality. Prayer is reality. Answered prayer is a reality because look at what verse 9 and 10 says. So you you take all of those things that just happened, all the miracles just happened. Disciples can't do one. So they say, Jesus, teach us to pray because that's obviously there. There are things that are going to come in life that nothing takes care of other than prayer. And Jesus teaches them how to pray. And here's why, because it's real. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 11, verse 9. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Listen to this. For everyone. Is anybody left out of the word everyone? Come on. Everyone. We talk about this frequently at Redeemer City Church. Like the, the, the overarching, like all-encompassing words that Jesus uses is incredible to me. Everyone. Everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Persisting in your prayers. Knock, seek, ask. Adore, intercede, petition, confess, and seek justice in the welfare of our city. Because answered prayer is real. And so, where... But at church, gathered with God's people, should we be praying?
praying? Should we be receiving? Should we be asking? And so what, what I want to do is just do what he tells us to do. We're going to invite you in just a minute to stand and come forward and or go to the back. There'll be two stations and receive the elements of communion to actually be handed them, to be reminded that God came and gave himself for you. You're going to actually participate with your body. You're going to stand your feet. You're going to walk. You're going to receive that from Jerome at the front or Pastor Tim at the back. And actually be handed that and be reminded that it was the grace of God given to you through his body and blood. And then we'll come back and we'll take it. And then I want to give you an opportunity to pray again. That every, every time we gather, we have the chance to pray. We have the chance to see God do what he won't do in any other situation. Because here's what I know. If we would get past the pleasantries, if we would get under the surface, every single one of you is carrying something into this place that can only be done through prayer. So I want to give you the opportunity to do that. And so if you'll stand with me, Kevin, if you'll come up and just... Play over us. Before you move, though, I want to remind you what it is that we're doing. In 1 Corinthians 10, the Bible says that the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there's one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Listen, communion, the sacrament of communion, the Lord's Supper, the table of communion, whatever you're, you grew up calling it. It's significant because it's where the seen and the unseen meet, right? It's the natural way, bread and wine or bread and juice that usher you into the presence of God, into the body and blood of Jesus. And so while they are so very obviously a pathetic excuse for a cracker and juice, what we recognize is that because we are gathered as the body of Christ, that we are, we are ushered into his presence. We are given grace in these moments as we partake of his body and his blood. First Corinthians 11 also tells us that we should be careful, right? That we shouldn't abuse this privilege because it's a celebration of grace. So if you don't know Jesus today, I just want to invite you to surrender to him. If the Holy Spirit is drawing you to him, I just, it's so simple and yet so hard <laughs> because it involves that first confession, right? That you are God and I am not. And the Bible says it's very simple that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. It's that simple and yet it's that difficult to turn the reins of your life over, to turn the reins of your kingdom over to his. But yet if you haven't done that, you can do that in the quietness of your heart and then together with us take communion for the very first time. We would love to know that you did that. But for those of you that are followers of Jesus, it's. It's incumbent upon us, too, to not come to his body and his blood recklessly. That he did die on a cross, a real Roman wooden 
torture device, hung between two thieves as a perfect man, so that you could have life, what Jesus called the abundant life. And so I'll just encourage you, before you walk up here, we'll give you plenty of space to do this, that you would just talk to the Lord. That you would confess any sins that you know are present in your life. Maybe you need to shoot a text to somebody. I don't know. But then as you do that, I would just encourage you as you are set free by the Spirit of the living God, would you just walk to the front here and receive these elements from Jerome or walk to the back and receive them from Pastor Tim? And then just make your way back to your seat and in just a couple minutes we'll all take it together uh, as one body, just as 1 Corinthians tells us. But uh, if you want to sit, you can sit. If you want to come forward, you can come forward. We'll just take a couple minutes as Kevin plays and uh, we will we'll re- we'll receive the elements together in just a minute. As we sit in the silence, I encourage you to take that bread and Put it in your hand and listen to the words of Scripture in First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. The Apostle Paul says this, For I received from the Lord, but I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took bread, and you take bread now. And when he had given thanks, which we've been doing all morning, He broke it, and I would encourage you to just hold that up to your ear and break that. And be reminded that it was the body of the Lord Jesus that was broken for you and for me. And when he had broken it, he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread. If you'll open the cup, the scripture says that in the same way, he took the cup after dinner. Saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. I love that. I love to think the fact that I didn't bring a a goat or a dove or anything else with me today. I came freely by the grace of God to receive. And he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so I encourage you as you take this cup that you would remember Jesus and take the cup. And then Paul said, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. And just in this moment, the gospel writers tell us that right after they had that first Lord's Supper that they sung a hymn. And so we're going to do that together. It's one we sung last week. It'll be familiar to you. But more importantly, as you sit there and you listen to these words, 
the words of the song are that I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. But we've been studying prayer all month. We've been praying together all month. And at every time that we gather, I want there to be an opportunity for you to pray. To be prayed for. To be prayed with. And so, I'm going to invite you to stand here in a second. But I can't help but believe that there's somebody that needs us to pray with them. And so we've done it in all different ways. Today, I just want to invite you, if that's you, if you would like to be prayed with, I'm going to ask Jerome to stand up here. I'm going to ask Pastor Tim to stand at the back. I'm going to move myself down here. We would love to pray with you. Listen, as, as we've been studying all month the importance of prayer, the reality of prayer, the power of prayer, the pace of prayer, like all the postures of prayer, there, there's so much power in prayer that's available. But I love what Jesus told us today. You got to pray. You have to pray. And as we studied a few weeks ago, there is great power when we pray for each other. That's what it looks like to carry each other's burdens. And so, would you stand with me? The band's going to play and sing this over us. And you're welcome to sing along, but... We would love to pray with you. And so, if you want to be prayed with, we've got Jerome, we'll be up here, I'll be up here. Pastor Tim will be in the back. We've got other elders, CR's here, Pat's here. Grab one of us, we'd love to. Grab somebody near you, just... Whoever's around you, I promise you, would love to pray with you. And so just listen to these words as Kevin sings, as the band plays. And if we can serve you in that way, we would love to. And then I'll come back up when we're done.